Welcome to Epiphany, the podcast where we discern what is good, acceptable, and perfect by the renewal of our minds in the light of Christ. Hey guys, welcome back to the Epiphany Podcast for our next episode. Um, I'm very excited about today's topic. I feel like I say that every time. I'm always excited about our topics. They're things that I'm interested in talking about, and they're things the church loves. And so today we're going to talk about the saints. We're going to talk about intercession to the saints and even highlight some of the lives of some of the saints that are very special to me and to my very special guest. Again, one of my regulars um, that will be a regular, one of my favorites, Father Connor Plesla. Welcome back for round two on Epiphany. Thanks. Great to be back. Thought we um, had a fun conversation last time, talking about Catholic education. Now we're talking about the saints. So yeah, yeah, it's something I love and I'm very passionate about as well. So um, yeah, it should be good. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Thanks. Yeah, th- and thank you for coming back. I, I know uh, I know it was a fun conversation and stuff. And I'll tell you, I, I got a lot of good feedback on the nice. Catholic um, Catholic education episode. And um, yeah, it's it's again, I want to I want to kind of highlight because I was thinking at the end of the Catholic education episode, and I think about this probably every episode, right? I, I run back in my mind everything we talked about and everything maybe more importantly that we didn't talk about. And I'm like, gosh, there's all, there's all kinds of things to say. And I want you to know that I in no way, shape or form are, are under any illusions um, that the epiphany podcast is a comprehensive conversation. You know, yeah. like this is, I really see this as the beginning of a thought, a be, the beginning of a dialogue. And so if you have thoughts or questions, um, I keep asking not many people are taking me up on it, then that's okay. Um, but I just want you to know, like, if you have questions or a thought is provoked and you're like, hey, what about this or this? Like, please send them my way. Like, I'd be happy to kind of continue these thought processes because there's just so much to say about these topics and the way that these things interplay in our particular lives, I mean, are as infinite as we are, you know, in a certain sense. And so I love tossing and turning with them and, and playing out new ideas and new possibilities. So just be encouraged in that. But today... We're going to speak about the saints, and it's this has actually been a question, I will say, in my priestly ministry. This has been a question that's come up more frequently than normal recently. I don't, I don't know why, you know, sometimes things just come in waves, but I've been getting from a lot of different sources a lot of questions about why do we pray to the saints, um, even with some couples that I'm prepping for marriage, you know, mixed religion, so one Catholic, one non-Catholic Christian typically, which is very common down here. Um, a lot of times I'll hear it's like, I really love the Catholic faith, but the one thing I just don't really understand um, is why you pray to the saints. You know, why, you know, that just doesn't make sense to me. And that that question's coming up so much. So I figured we'd do an episode to talk about the saints, um, why we pray to them. And because I, I really do think our relationship with the saints is pivotal in our relationship with God. And we'll yeah. kind of explain that. But. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I figured we would begin just by addressing some of those some of those questions. And so some of the more common comments that I get or some of the more common kind of objections to praying to the saints. Well, and maybe before we start there, what is a saint? Yeah, a saint is someone who's in heaven. Yeah. Right? Like super a person in heaven. You know, they're they are heaven is the state of being perfectly united to Christ. Um, and that's, that's what a saint is, you know, sanctus or sancte, whatever the Latin would be, um, holy, right? So a saint is someone who is holy and 
you were perfectly holy in heaven when you were united, united to Christ, you know? So um, a saint is someone who is in heaven. Yeah, it's not super complicated. Yeah. If you're in heaven, you're a saint. Yeah, but, you don't have to be formally canonized a saint by the church to be in heaven. Yes. Right? Like the only, the only, the, pe- the people, okay, the canonized saints are not the only people in heaven. Yeah, that's important like, to remember. Like, we, yeah, okay, so, they are saints as well, but they're not formally canonized. Like, okay, my right. great grandmother. Yeah, I hope, you know, old Mama Plessel is in heaven. Absolutely. Let's say she is in heaven right now. Okay, well, she's not a formally declared saint. Sure. But like, she could still be in heaven right now. You yeah, know, exactly. Saints, the, the ones who are formally declared saints, canonized saints, are kind of like special beacons, you know, like extraordinary, extraordinary in their in their lives and and, and yeah. how God has worked through them. And um, God uses those as opposed to every single person. It, it would be over completely overwhelming. So, yeah, I think yeah, go the ahead. important. No, 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 I think that, that's perfect. And, and so what I would add to that is I think an important distinction to remember here is to be in heaven is to be a saint. To be canonized by the church is not the qualification of being in heaven. Right. To, to, be, to, to, to be canonized by the church does not mean that like th- these are the only people in heaven. But what it means is these are particularly holy people. But not just that they're particularly holy, but that their particular mission in the eyes of God and, in, and according to the will of God, their particular mission is meant to be known by the universal church. Right. To be canonized by the church means that your life is meant to be known by everybody. Mm. Like the, the church is saying, hey, this, you know, mom or this a monk or this, you know, whatever, this pope, this whoever it is, this person's life is so holy and so... um, And so like venerable and so worthy of our in, uh, um, um, impersonation or imitation that... We are going to canonize them as a way of investigating their holiness, looking into their lives, but also then making them publicly known to you. So you may not have known sister so-and-so who lived over in Poland, you know, 300 years ago, but the church is like, we've canonized her. So in a certain sense, we think you should. Like her life is meaningful, not just for that little community, but is meaningful for the whole church. And so I, I have proposed... Um, many times, and I've really become convicted on this, and I think it's very theologically sound, but I have proposed that I would imagine most of the saints in heaven are unknown. Most of the saints in heaven are what we'd call kind of invisible, silent saints. They're saints that are not people who are venerated by the church yeah. with a liturgical feast day. Yeah, I like, certainly hope so, because if not, that would mean we only have about like 10,000 people in heaven. Yeah. yeah. There's been a lot more people... Exactly, Earth, you know. Exactly. So, and so yeah. I do want to. That, that's a good distinction to yeah, make. It's like absolutely it, to, to become saint a someone who is saint in heaven. of the church, like yeah. in a capital S Saint Peter, canonized, you know, yes, saint, you know Saint whoever. You know, those saints are particularly put forward as exemplars of the faith. You know, and so we right. learn things from those saints. But saints in general are people in heaven. So the question is, um, one of the first questions that ever comes up is. If you pray to saints, does that mean that you are worshiping them? No, no. So there's there's a couple Latin words that I think they're Latin. Yeah, um, probably. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they may be Greek. I don't know. We'll find out in a second when I start saying it. Peyton will tell me. Um, <laughs> there's uh, there's certain different there are different levels of I guess attention or veneration or adoration or worship that we give to um, to God 
as opposed to Mary, as opposed to the different saints. Um, so what we give to God is what we call latria, right? Yeah. And that's worship. Worship, yeah. That is the only, God is the only one whom we worship. We don't worship anybody else. Correct. Um, we sacrifice for God, you know, um, not in the Old Testament way or ancient, you know, but like we offer our lives as an oblation to God, you know, as a sacrifice to God. We live for Him and we die for Him. Well, um, first and foremost, the greatest sacrifice we offer to God is, is the, the sacrifice of, of Christ on the cross. Is Jesus exactly Christ, right. right? Exactly and right. So that's, you know, like, that's the heart of worship, is right. the sacrifice to God. Is the Mass. And so you know, although yeah. we don't slaughter animals on a stone altar, like in the Old Testament, Correct. the Old Testament is a type of yeah. the New Testament. And so the Old Testament points us in pattern to the New Testament. God is not different in yeah. the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. So there's a clear development and arc. There is, so yeah. that's a good point. Latria. We offer Latria to God, which yeah, is a he's form the only of one worship. we worship. Yeah, yeah. We don't worship anybody else. Like I, I venerate I, I venerate it com- my, clearly against the commandments of yeah, God. Exactly. In that the would Old be Testament. that would be breaking be the, the first commandment. I mean the first one. Yeah, like absolutely. <laughs> breaking number one. You know, you yeah, haven't exactly. made it out of the door yet. Um anyway, so Latria, we only worship God. Second um, there's something called hyperdulia versus dulia. And then some saints also talk about protodulia. So three levels there, if we want to go there. So what is dulia? So dulia, let's start at the bottom. So dulia is just veneration, just veneration. So what is veneration though? Because even that word, it's English, but veneration, we have to remember like veneration is a certain honor. Yeah. That we give to somebody. And right. so we, we venerate something, which is different than worshiping the thing. There's, mm-hmm. there's levels of, in veneration, I mean, veneration can be as simple as you walk into a, an art museum. Yeah. And, and you're quiet it's, it's and a, respectful because you're venerating the, 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 yeah, the, the space. Yeah. You know? You're like, it, it, by your posture, you're venerating the, just the, not, yeah, it's it why you stand up when the bishop walks in the room. That's why you stand up when the president walks in the room. That's why you stand yeah, up yeah, yeah. and like, and you're like, well, you know, chivalry, we used to do this. Like if a woman walks in the room men would stand up and, and greet her, you yeah, know? Yeah. And it's not like, oh, this is something crazy. It's just yeah, like I out mean, of you respect. Hold the door. You hold the door. Yeah. You, you, you pull you're the You're venerating chair, the, the you know? beauty of the other person. I don't mean physical beauty. It'd be like you're venerating the, the sacrality of the other person, of like the goodness the of the other person. Yeah, the, the importance of the other yeah. person. No, that's exactly right. So we venerate things all the time. And I think maybe one of my favorite examples to use, because it's, all, it's, it's a very, very pithy example, but it's very relevant to all of us, um, is just the American flag. Yeah. Right. Like every single you don't let it touch the ground. morning, every single morning when we do the, um, when, when you're in school growing up and you do the um, Pledge of Allegiance, yeah. you were venerating the, the, the flag as a symbol of the United States. It's yeah. a patriotic veneration. So that's what veneration is. To venerate something is to do honor to something. Right. And there's a lot of ways in which you can do honor. And so dulia. Yeah. So dulia is just veneration. It's so literally we, to give honor right. to something. Yeah. So we, we give honor to the saints. We venerate okay. the saints. We do not worship the so saints. So dulia we offer to the saints. Correct. And then some saints, if, if we can kind of tease out a little bit, um, in, a, in a devotion to St. Joseph, you know, um, they would give him proto-dulia. So like first dulia. So he's so in a way like particular among the saints, right? Yeah. But then proto is first. So above that though would be hyperdulia, the yeah. most, the, the most, most veneration, yeah, which most we give to a, the Blessed Mother Mary and no one else. Correct. Right? Yeah. Now, remember, this is all below Latria. Latria at the it's top, worship, if you're yeah. a visual learner, Latria, top of the page, like top of the page, 
in that big space up there, that is Latria, that is God and only God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Latria. Yep. Below that would be Hyperdulia, the most veneration. We yep. venerate as the most special would be the Blessed Mother. Yeah. Again, not God. <laughs> we don't have a quadinity. You know, we don't have four people in the Trinity. Correct. So Hyperdulia would be Mary, okay? And then Protodulia, St. Joseph. Um, and then Latria, I mean, and then Dulia would be, would be the lowest, the normal veneration. Um, so I think yes. Latin maybe, I don't know. We'll that is Latin. You were right. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. There we go. Right on. Yeah. There you go. Um, so absolutely right. So those are like levels of kind of veneration yeah. and like, what's the difference between veneration and worship? But I think maybe even like on a more fundamental level to get into that particular distinction is to understand that is what does it mean to pray? To mm, someone, yeah. okay, and so the word, big the English word "pray" is literally it's an old English word, and literally it just it means to ask. Yeah, I pray you do this. Yes, exactly. It's just yeah. an ask. It's a yeah. request. And so, technically, when 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 we talk about prayer in the church, when we pray to somebody, simply what we're doing is asking for their help or intercession. Mm-hmm. We're asking for their help. Mm-hmm. Okay, that that is what we are doing. So to say that to pray to saints is to worship them is is a confusion of what prayer and worship are. Correct. And those things I will say in 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 modern day um, Christianity, like in just across a lot of different denominations, denominations. And, the, and even some Catholics, like we confuse what it means to pray yeah. and to worship. Those are distinct acts that are very different. Right. And I, I, this is important because. All when when Catholics are praying to the saints, what we are doing is literally we are asking the saints to intercede on our behalf to God. And what does it mean to intercede? It means to be an advocate for. Right. To, In the to, same way that if I like when I, you know, I, I've had injuries, like and whenever I've had injuries, like I ask you to pray for me. Yeah, exactly. And we do this yeah. all the time. And yeah. and that's what's funny is every Christian does this. Right. Oh, every would you pray for my grandmother? They'll post would on you the Facebook page, right? Like, oh, yeah. pray, you know, pray for my family. Or yeah. like, oh, yeah. oh, it's like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. I'm praying for you. Like, right. I'm sending prayers your way. Like, everyone does every, this. Everyone, everyone acts as an intercessor for other people. We're all interceding for those we love. Yeah. Now, when we pray to the saints, when we're asking them to intercede for us, why would we ask them? Well, they're because they're particularly close to God right now. They're yeah. in heaven. Yeah, absolutely. Like, they are closer to God than I am right now. Which kind of actually reminds me of a um, of a quote from who was it? Gregory of Na- uh, Nazianzus. Yeah, he and this is in a, about the year three eighty. Yeah, know? so this is early on in the church. This is Very before early. the Great Schism. This is like still. This is actually just for for future for um this is very interesting but um 380 would have been before the year that the bible was compiled it would have been before the, the bible Correct. was compiled for the first time in the year 395 in the council right. of rome just for your reference so this is like early 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 on in the church and um he says that yes i am well assured that my father's intercession is of more avail now than was his instruction in former days, since he is closer to God now that he has shaken off his bodily fetters and freed his mind from the clay that obscures it and holds conversation naked with the nakedness of the prime and purest mind. And so Gregory of Nazianzus understood that because he has a loved one in heaven who prays for him, that that loved one can intercede on his behalf in, in a more profound and an abundant way because yeah. he has a completely unobstructed He's seeing God as he relationship is. with God. And yeah. that's a, I mean, 
and that's Greg, Gregory Nazianz is one of the greatest um, theologians of the early church. Super important, but just to say, to pray to a saint is not to worship them. And I think we really have to be careful about distinguishing what it means to pray to and to worship and also to worship and to venerate, right? Those are different things. Okay? Yeah, absolutely. Because veneration, we can honor things that are good. Yeah. Now, I mean, I guess, no, I won't go there. Continue. Yeah, there's more to be said, and we'll, we'll yeah. kind of unpack some of this in a second. Um, <laughs> here's an important one, and this kind of flows from that. A lot of people ask... Um, have asked me, like, why bother praying to the saints? Why would I not just go straight to God? Why would you not go straight to God? Um, especially seeing as, like, if we're asking the saints intercession, we're, in a sense, like, are you not wasting time yeah. talking to someone who yeah. isn't Jesus? And that's, so, a, so a quick response. Yeah, go for it. I mean, would just be, well, then never ask anyone else to pray for you. Like, don't ask anyone else on earth. I would propose a, a, you know what I'm saying. Quick, it's like yes, I yes. mean, yeah, there's a better reason. Yes, there's a you know more mature reason no, no, no. than that, but it's also kind of the same. It's, it's, I mean, it's true though. It's like, well, why would you go, why, don't go to the saints? Just go straight to God. Okay, well, then don't ask me to pray for you. Don't waste your breath on me. Like I'm not God. Just ask God. Well, in a certain you know what I'm saying? in a certain sense, no, I know exactly what you're saying yeah. because that's kind of my response. And my response is even I think more general and maybe a little more pithy. But like my response is, then don't talk to anybody. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> Why would you waste time building friendships? Just go be a hermit and a monk. Well, and my just thing is like, God if Jesus the is the most important thing. Yeah. If he's the most important person. Yeah. If he is the one that our lives are like ordered towards, and if he's the one that we should give our whole our lives and attention to. And let's be clear, there's no one that is more deserving of our attention, our love, our latria yeah. than God himself. For sure. Why bother talking to anybody else? Why don't you just spend 24 hours a day in prayer? You know, yeah, like then I guess we're not really a community of faith. Okay, and so here's you know, like, here, here, like our Father. This is exactly you know how we were taught to pray, like our Father. I mean, like why pray to the saints? Because the this okay this this I'm going to give kind of a, a, a this is a really important thing to understand. It comes from our understanding of what the church is. Yeah. Okay. What is the church? That Paul is very very clear. The most the 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 most common image that's used to describe the church is the church is the body of Christ. Yep. Okay. And so we get very clearly from that image that the head of the church, who is Jesus Christ, is very closely related to the body of Christ, to the point that there are actually many saints who have talked about the relationship of the head and the body as if they're not as distinguishable as you would think. And so yeah, Father Connor, I know you have some of those quotes pulled up. Let's let's read a few of yeah, those. Yes, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. So um, this is coming from the Catechism 795. Christ and his church thus together make up the whole Christ. Christus so totus. There. Christus totus. So I want to pause there and highlight that. Christ and his church, head and body, are the whole Christ. Mm-hmm. That is really, really interesting. And yeah, it's very a, important to say that. That's a huge thing to reflect on. We Think make about up the that. mystical body of Christ, even, along with Christ. Even the ancient name given to the followers of Christ, Christians, it comes from a Greek word that's a diminutive, right? Like, um, like I mean, you, you minister to a lot of Hispanics, like the, yeah. the, the phrase pobrecito. Yeah. It's yeah, like yeah. little poor, you know, like little yeah. poor one, right? Like it, the cito, the ito. Yeah. It's like a diminutive. That's like a, it's kind of like a cute mm-hmm. kind of shrinking of something, right? Well, it's the same in Greek. And so the word Christian literally means little Christ. 
Ah, okay. That's literally what that word means. Yeah. And so from the very beginning, we understood that, um, and, and this is something that many, many saints have said. This is, uh, yeah. uh, Tom Riello was actually talking about it last night. He, he quoted Father Sophie. Oh, there you go. He was really, really big. Father Frank Sophie, one of the holiest priests in our diocese. Um, one of the things that he always says is what would, what Christ has by nature, we have by adoption. Absolutely. Like, to be a Christian, I, this is really, really important to understand, to be a Christian is to be a part of Christ. Right. Like, where you go, Christ goes. Yeah, you're not just believing in something. Yeah. The, like, he, the thing he, he takes remain, you into himself. Yes. We become a part of it. It's not right. that, like, the, the it's not like Christianity is a religion that I assent to and it's outside of me and I kind of agree to it. Yeah. And are I you an adherent rules. of Christianity as you are yeah. in a, like, a fan of Auburn or a yeah, exactly. fan of Real Madrid? It's like, well, no, those are things that you just kind of take on to yourself kind of thing. And you, you make you a part take of them you. Off. Yeah, right. exactly. You could become a fan of somebody else. Oh, no, I would never cheer for anybody other than Auburn. Okay, that's like, okay. that's well, not the point. That's, that's good. That point. means that you have a lot of devotion to Auburn. Yeah, and that's, but like, that's that not the point, though. The point is that like that's an external thing. Exactly. You it's know? always outside Whereas a Christian, of No, that's like God dwells in us. Like He invites us into Himself. Yeah. This is not just, oh, believe in this. We become a part of God. Right. I mean, the, the ancient church fathers said it um, best. I believe it was Gregory Nazianzus as well who said it, but he said... Um, Actually, there's so many people who have said this because it was so popular of a quote, but um, we, um, God became man so that we could become like God. Athanasius. Athanasius, yeah. Yeah. God became man so that man could become God. That's like, so this, and we can keep talking about this one thing and we will talk about that. That was incarnation. I mean, you had that episode, you know, a month ago. We will, and we will be talking more about this when we talk about what the church is. But I wanted to kind of just introduce you quickly to the importance of to be a Christian is to be a part of Christ. So why do we pray to the saints? Because there's a sense in which praying to the saints is part of the life of the church. Like it's, it's a part of what it is to be a Christian, but also because the saints are part of Christ. Yep. Like this is, this is really important too. Why do we remember the lives of the saints? Like, why do we talk about the saints so much? Because it can now, and I'll give credit um, where credit is due. There can become some kind of weird cult of the saints where you have a relationship with all of these and like saints, almost as if they're like trading cards, like Catholic trading cards and you yeah. just kind of collect their stories and their names yeah. and their cool yeah. miracles and stuff. And there can become a little bit of a culture, especially among young Catholics right now where it's like, what's the most obscure saint you have heard of and like know their lives for it. Right. But, um, but that's like human weakness, right? That's like, we're all yeah. prone to be weird to yeah. just to be frank. But the point is, why do we remember the lives of the saints? We remember the lives of the saints because the lives of the saints are the continuation of the of the scriptures, of the gospels. Yeah. The gospels kick off this whole good news and this salvific moment. But then the lives of the saints are how that salvation has continued to play out. Why do we follow the lives of the saints? In short, because they are the life of Christ continued. Yeah. They're it's, living out Christ. It's so when we the whole history of the church is a history of Christ's continued work in the life of the world. Yeah. But now it's not Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth walking around in a carpenter's body as 33 years old. He is ascended into heaven and then sent his Holy Spirit down upon his followers precisely so that he could be extended throughout the whole world. 
Correct. And so where is Christ? Find a saint. Where yeah. is Christ? Find a Christian. Yeah. That's And so why do we pray to the saints? Because to pray to a saint is not a distraction from Jesus. To pray to a saint is another avenue by which we can relate to Jesus. Exactly right. Think about the this. Saints are hu- the saints were human. Yes. The saint, I mean, the saints are human, yes. But like the saints were regular people. What I love about the saints is if every saint is a member of the body of Christ— Right. And that's what we believe as Christians. Like when we, when, when a member of the body of Christ dies, they go to heaven. Okay. Which is why it's important to remain attached to, as a member of the body of Christ. Yep. That's our salvation. Romans yep. six, Paul is very clear. Baptism initiates us into the body of Christ so that we share in his death so that we may also share in his life. Okay. That's, that's what it means. But what's cool about that is Jesus of Nazareth had one body and it was limited in where he could be. Scripture talks all the time about how Jesus got tired. He had to go away to a he had to go away to a quiet place. He got hungry. He cried. Like he was subject to human nature in a, in a really abundant way. But in his ascension and then Pentecost and his appointing of the apostles, what he does is he extends himself through the whole church, so that now the lives of the saints are the life of Jesus perpetuated in every culture, mm-hmm. in every language, in every time throughout yep, history. Absolutely. And so if all the saints are the members of the body of Christ, that means that Christ has thousands of ways by which to relate to you. Mm-hmm. Because maybe a first century Palestinian carpenter, maybe that particular life can be a little distant. Like, I don't know. I mean, now Jesus transcends difference, but the way he does that in a lot of ways, one of the main ways he does that is through living through the lives of the saints. He doesn't have to be in every classroom on Auburn's campus because he can be in every classroom on Auburn's campus through his followers, through his Christians. You know, he doesn't have to be in every workplace. He doesn't have to magically show up in every single church because there are Christians there. He already is there. And this is, this is precedent in in the gospels when Jesus says, what you do for the least of me, you do for me. Right. He, what, he, what you do for the least of my brothers, you of do my for brothers. me. Yeah, you do. Like, we are connected mm-hmm. with Christ in a real way. That's not just a symbolic, like, we're sorority sisters. That's like a real, like, literal communion of, of family. Yeah. Like, yeah. You, you, sh- you share a bond, mm-hmm. right? And so, why do we pray to the saints? We pray to the saints because they are part of Christ. And in our relationship with them is part of how we commune with God. There's another, there's more reasons. Another reason I would propose, we relate to the saints because God desires us to. And you may say, okay, where, where does he desire us to? He desires us to do it. Think about this. When Jesus left, who did he send out into the world? The apostles. He sent his apostles. Why didn't Jesus just divide himself, become like super, like, why didn't he just extend himself and then go himself and relate to everybody? Jesus would look at you and say, I did. Yeah. If you want to say, why doesn't Jesus himself just appear? Like, why does he send Mary to be, to appear to these little children in Fatima or or Lourdes, right? Like, why, why didn't Jesus just come? Or like, why do I have to talk to St. Peter? Why didn't Jesus just, it's like, Jesus would be like, I did, dude. Through these people. (laughs) I did. These are my people. These are me. They're saints of mine. And so when you're a saint of mine, your heart is my heart. Our hearts are, are beat with one accord. So when you pray to Mary, you can trust that whatever Mary brings to the Father will be done because Mary only brings to the Father what the Father already desires. Yeah. Like it's it's not it's not an obstacle. We're not adding extra steps. We're adding extra doors. Yeah. In a sense, right? And all of those doors are Christ, but they're Christ masked in different particular lives. 
Yeah. So that's why we pray to the saints. And, and the reason God willed it to be this way is because he wills us not only to be in communion with himself, but also in communion with each other. The Lord is constantly telling us to love each other, to forgive each other, to, to help each other, to serve the poor, to do all these incredible things, these social justice-like kind of element of the church. It's important. We live in community and we love each other. The Lord did not establish a community of persons who are going to be isolated silos where each person has their own relationship with Jesus. Without yeah, this isn't else. just about you and God. Yeah. Like, as if that's a one-off thing. And like you're, you're like your relationship with God exists in a vacuum. Like that's not how this works. Yeah, this is not just a one-on-one tutoring session. Even like Jesus. your your life, your your relationship with God involves other people. No one came to faith by themselves. Yeah, that's it really was always through other people. Yeah, right. I mean, look at Peter. His brother Andrew went and got him. Yeah, I mean, th- like that's in the gospel. Andrew is one of the followers of John the Baptist, and Jesus walking by, and he says, hey, follow me. He says, where, where, oh, no, John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God. And so Andrew goes up to him and says, um, uh, teacher, where are you staying? And he says, come and you will see. And then he goes, okay, and they, he spends the night with him. And then Andrew goes and gets his brother Simon. Like, no one has come to the faith by themselves. Even if you, even if no one told you about the faith, and even if you read your way to the faith, right? Okay, well, someone wrote those books. Like, no one comes to the faith by themselves. And also, God invites you into himself, into his mission, the messianic mission, which is why we're confirmed and the Holy Spirit is bestowed upon us. Because God is intending to work through you yeah. to get other people, yeah. to minister to other people. This isn't just about you and God and about you being good with God. Like, well, yeah. I got my God and I'm fine. Like, I'm good with my relationship yeah. with God. Utterly ridiculous. Yeah, it's like, no, 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 no. He wants to work through you. That's how much he loves you is that he wants to use you for the plan. For his divine salvation, to bestow salvation on other people. How great is it? What kind of honor is that, that you have been invited to participate in a particular way in the salvation of other people? Absolutely. It's That's beautiful. amazing. Well, so then I would, I would imagine then like a, another objection that would come from this is, okay, it's clear that while we're on earth, to be a Christian is to be a part of a community. Yeah. And even if you don't understand like a, like a church community and like a, in a, in a particularly Jesus himself had 12 apostles and then 72 disciples. It was a community already when sure. Christ was on earth. A- absolutely. He wasn't just thinking themso- thinking all this up by himself on some mountain and then came down and was like, go. It's like, no, yeah. he already had a community around people. Exactly. A community of people around him. He okay, began, sorry, keep going. He began keep going. a community. Well, the other thing too, I mean, this is a total, this may be a little bit of a tangent, but... We have to remember we were made in the image and likeness of God. Who is a community of who persons. Who is a community in and of himself. Yeah, a communion of love between three persons. <laughs> so like yeah. community is all part of this. Um, anyway, but even if like, say, say you're like, okay, I believe we're meant to be a part of a community, but I don't really believe in denominations or stuff. It's like, okay, whatever. We can, we can talk about that later. That'll be a different um, day. That's a different day. a different but day. But my point is at bare minimum, you are a part of the community of the human race. Right. And, and no one can deny that. Like that's like bare minimum as a human person, you're, you're meant to be part of at least the species, <laughs> yeah. which is a community. So I could see though an objection though, but, but then we die and go to heaven. Okay. Um, if all things work out, right. If, if, if we, yeah, if we yeah, persevere yeah. in faith, you know, like we die and go to heaven. And so a lot of people would argue then that it's like, it's not that the saints are not in communion with us or they're not part of the family, but it's more like they just don't care. Because they are in heaven fulfilled. And so why would they like then turn around and look at us who were still in battle? Seems kind of selfish. 
Well, to me, it's to me, it's like okay. There's there's theological reasons, and I mean, we can we can get it. We can get into that, I guess, if you want. But just like do like the common sense litmus test. So you spend eighty years of your life. You spend fifty years of your life. You spend however like you spend your life on Earth, loving your brother man, like worshiping God every day and serving him tirelessly on earth to build up the kingdom of God here. And then you get to heaven, you walk into there and then you're like, Oh, finally, I finally made it. I don't have to worry about any of yeah, those. Now people I can anymore. stop caring about other people. Yeah. Well, and then maybe the, maybe the proposal too is not that they don't care, but that they're so busy worshiping God that somehow like they're, they're not concerned with us. Nah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it proposes a very individualistic, self-centered ideal for sainthood, that somehow our sainthood is all about us just getting good with God. And once we've achieved that, we get to go live in heaven and we just have to like, I don't know, it's everyone else has to get lucky, I guess, or everyone yeah, else has to... that's not what the saints have said throughout the church. Yeah, so what have like, they said? Okay, so St. Dominic lived around the in the 1200s i believe yeah, 13th right 13th century yeah. yeah 13th century um he says he says do not weep for i shall be more useful to you after my death and i shall help you then more effectively than during my life yeah okay pretty great and then saint teresa lazu one of the doctors of the church all right she says i want to spend my heaven in doing good on earth yeah. So they don't just get to heaven and they're like, okay, well, I'm done with you people. I made it. I'm done. Yeah. Like, no, they, they still care for us. And it's part still, of being united to Christ, you want what Christ wants. Yeah. And Christ wants the salvation of us, which means you want the salvation of us. Well, and so this kind of steps back into something I was kind of alluding to earlier. It's like, it's, it's God's will that the saints be a part of our lives. Yeah. Because it's God's will that we be a part of Christ's mission and Christ's mission is our salvation. And so he welcomes his Christians, his saints into his mission. Um, and this is, this is important. I mean, this is origin. This is the ancient church father, um, the year 233. This is super fresh. You know what I mean? Like we're only a couple of generations removed from Jesus himself. Um, and origin says, but not the high priest Christ alone prays for those who pray sincerely, but also the angels as also the souls of the saints who have already fallen asleep. It's so when, the, when was that? 200s? 233. All right. So from the very beginning, the church already understood that like our prayers affect others. And why not the saints who are in heaven who are that much closer to God? All right. Polycarp. Want to go Polycarp earlier? Polycarp is even earlier. Yeah, Polycarp he's, is a he's follower like between 100 and 150. Yeah. So Poly- somewhere in there. Okay. So interesting thing about Polycarp too. So we live in the Archdiocese of Mobile. Yeah. Right. Polycarp was appointed by John. Yeah. John, uh, and then Polycarp then appointed Irenaeus. Yeah. And sent Irenaeus to this really foreign wilderness up, which is now France. Lyon, France. And he founded the, basically the Diocese of Lyon. Yeah, right? Irenaeus, Irenaeus of Lyon. martyr up there. Um, and the Diocese of Lyon, about 16, eight, you know, 16, 1700 years later, founded a little mission diocese in the New World called the Diocese of Mobile. Yep. And so our Archbishop, Archbishop Rhodey, in a real sense, comes directly in the lineage of yeah. John, the, There's John a patronage. the beloved disciple. Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, so, so Polycarp. Polycarp. Polycarp, so Polycarp like between one, one and... Great grandfathers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Between 100 and 150, somewhere in there. Um, 
He says, we worship Christ as God's son. We love the martyrs as the Lord's disciples and imitators, and rightly so because of their matchless devotion towards their king and master. May we also be their companions and fellow disciples. Like companions. Yeah. There's a communion, there's a communion between companions. Yeah. So this is, so, okay, so there's a couple ways to take this and like to extend this. First of all, it's, it's important to remember that to be in heaven, to be a saint is, the, is to be a member of the body of Christ, okay? To be on earth and to be a part of the church is to be a member of the body of Christ. It would be weird to imply that somehow when you die, you get separated into a different body. As in like you're, you're, you're part of a different body of Christ. Like Christ's body is, 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 is continuous throughout its whole body. And so we talk about in the church, we talk about there's three levels of the church in a sense. There is the church triumphant, which is those members of the body of Christ who have attained eternal life in heaven. There's the church penitent or suffering, which is the, those members of the body of Christ who are being purified in the fires of purgatory. Being purged so, of their so, attachments so to on, sin so that they could the enter into heaven, which is perfect union with Christ. Yeah. And so in purgatory, heaven, hell, death, that's a whole nother episode. Mm-hmm. And I'm very excited about that one. Um, just kind of answer the purgatory and part. And then finally, there is the church militant. Yep. And I'm not talking about a really like tabloid-esque oh, news site no. online. No. But what I'm talking about is the church on earth, the church militant, the church that is still in combat, the church it's still at war, the church whose salvation is still being sorted. And so all of these things, they're all dimensions of the church, but they're all one body. So we're all all in relationship with each other. Um, The other thing though, to talk about God's will for saints in our lives, when God created the heavens and the earth, he, he created the angels to be his messengers. That's literally what angel means is messenger. But the angels we believe in the church have particular roles in the functioning and the managing of the created order. Okay, and so every angel has a job, and that job is to help the world move along. I mean, we we believe that there are angels who are assigned to things like the law of gravity. And, And now I'm not saying that the reason gravity exists is because there's an angel doing it. Like I get that there are laws like physical laws that we understand. I got an angel who's but really mad is, at me with gravity. Yeah, really. Yeah. But my, my point of that is that in a spiritual lens though, the way God manages those things on a spiritual level, on an invisible level is by the guardianship of angels. Right. And so the angels move the cosmos, the angels, guard the laws of physics. The angels also guard every creature. And so we believe and have believed from the beginning that we have guardian angels. Mm-hmm. And, and God says that, Jesus says that directly. He says the the angels, like, you know, whoever harms these little ones, you yeah, know, their angels will be in, stand by them. Their yeah. angels stand before the face of God, you know, and, and pray for them. So it's like, we believe in guardian angels, um, which means every person has a guardian angel. Now there is a lot of debate, which is interesting to me. There is a lot of debate about when you get a guardian angel. Do you get it once you're conceived? Do you get it once you're baptized? Do you get like, so it's interesting, but the whole point is you have a guardian angel and your guardian angel, just for the record, knew that he or she would be, there is no, like, there's no gender in guardian angels, but your guardian angel knew it would be your guardian angel from the beginning of time. And the Lord revealed that plan to your guardian angel and your guardian angel said, yes. And so your guardian angel has been waiting for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years just to be your guardian. And that's their whole job. Their whole creation was to kind of be your guardian. That's, that's really awesome. Pretty cool. But the other thing too is 
some of the angels fell. So there is a common theory among um, among theologians and exorcists and people alike who deal a lot in the spiritual world. There's a th- there's a theory that part of the reason God is making saints is because He is filling all of the roles that were abandoned by the fallen angels. Mm. And so, in a sense, a saint. It, let me be clear: a saint does not become an angel. Correct. When you die, you do not gain wings. You don't. That's not. That's so yeah. so silly. You angels are different kinds of beings. When a person dies and goes to heaven, they become a saint, not an angel. Yeah. Angels are all. They're already created. There's no new angels. There's no like, creation of new angels. Yeah, you don't become an angel, right? Um, but the but the saints are kind of then elevated into the kingdom of God to help operate in that hierarchy. And so all the saints have been given roles. They've been given jobs, like they have a particular patronage. And so that's why we talk about things like patron saints. One of the most beloved saints of all is the patron saint of lost things, who is? St. Anthony. St. Anthony. I, I love, there's like Catholic Anthony memes. Anthony of Padua. Yeah, there's, Saint, there's like Catholic memes online that are like, what did St. Anthony of Padua do to spend the rest of eternity looking for people's lost keys? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know I mean? like, yeah, exactly. So, so, but he's, he's a patron saint of lost things. One of, our, um, one of our best friends, you know, Father Andrew Jones is the pastor right now, St. Jude. And yeah. St. Jude is the patron saint of lost causes or hopeless causes. And yeah. so that's why Father Purcell, when he found, uh, when he founded that parish, in the 1920s and 30s, when he came down to minister to the, the poor mm. blacks of the area, he founded it called St. Jude because St. Jude is going to be hope for the hopeless. Mm. And yeah. so, the, but in the reason, in the reason St. Jude is the patron uh, saint of, of hopeless causes is because his name is actually Judas. Yeah. He's Judas Thaddeus. So his name is the same as the betrayer. Mm-hmm. And so in a sense, could you imagine his life after that? Oh, you're yeah. Judas. You're the guy you're, that you're like. The guy. You're, <laughs> you're the, the one. No, he's like, no, that's the other Judas. Like, yeah. you know. But he has like, you can imagine the humility there, and so that's kind of how he's get, gotten that patronage. Um, so anyway, like, I, I hope we've provided uh, some kind of like comprehensive or helpful way to understand why we pray to the saints, why it's helpful. Um, at the end of the day, the Lord gives us the saints as gifts. They're friends. Their guardians, their patrons, their people, their lampposts along us. the way to They're, guide the way to show to in, to inspire and to guide and to help exactly. And so let's let's take a uh, let's take a slightly like personal turn. Yeah, you know because um, we can talk about the saints all we want, but really what's beautiful about the saints is when they choose us. Yeah. And and I say that very intentionally, and it's a common phrase in Catholic world. And if you haven't heard it, here it is. And if it's if the Catholic world is something brand new to you, here we we say that you do not choose which saints to befriend, but they choose you. Um, for example, when I was born, and my parents went to get me baptized as good Catholics, um, they they christened me. They they baptized me in the name Joseph. So although my first name is Peyton, my middle name is Joseph. That's my baptismal name. So he's my he's my patron saint. And then when I got to eighth grade and I was looking to get confirmed, um, I was really moved by Joseph's story. I had I had grown up and learned a lot about him, and I loved Joseph, and I just felt called to him. So I chose Joseph as my patron saint for confirmation. Now that could be me choosing Joseph, but what I look back on is like there's a lot more there's a, a lot more perfect sense in which God sent Joseph to be my patron and my selecting him was merely a cooperation with that appointment. And so, and and go back to our, our episodes on prayer. 
when I say remember all prayer is merely a response to God. Yeah. And so anything we do in the in, in the holy life, anything we do in the saint life, anything we do in this discipleship and in the Christian life, all of it's a response to what the Lord is already kind of moving and, and accomplishing. Yeah. And so we say that the saints choose us. Um, one example of how this happens, and this is kind of, this is a saint that really has come up very recently for me. I don't know too much about him. So, and this is kind of crazy how it happens. I was in Italy last year. And I've been to Italy. That was probably my sixth or seventh trip to Italy. I've been very blessed with opportunities to go visit. And I I just love bringing people there now, you know, and showing them the beautiful churches and stuff. But I have been to Assisi in Siena in Rome, like, you know, five, six times and spent many, many days there. I've seen all those churches before. Not much is brand new. You know what I mean? And so there's there's a tendency. You go on those trips over and over again. You're like, yeah, this is it. It's beautiful. But you can't ever repeat that first time. Mm-mm. You know, like our parents always talk about, like they wish they could go back and bring us as little kids to Disney World for the first time again. Yeah. Because it's like there's just something magic about that first time when you see it. Anyway, so you kind of get, I don't want to say bored because I'm never bored of Italy, but you do, you, it becomes repetitive. This time, though, there was a saint that stuck out. And, and his, his name is St. Bernardino of Siena. Mm. And dude, I, I've been to Assisi. I've been to Siena. I've been to Rome. Never heard of this guy before. Yeah, Bernardine of Siena. Yeah. And so, St. Bernardine, um, we were walking around. All of a sudden, I noticed his picture a lot in Assisi. I'm like, oh, St. Bernardine. And he was a Franciscan. Yeah. So, St. Bernardine was a Franciscan, I think, about 100, 200 years after St. Francis himself. So, in that in the, in the early years of the Franciscans. And so, he was in, in, in Assisi all over the place because that's the capital city of the Franciscan order. Um, and his picture was all over the place. I'm like, man, I've never noticed this guy before, but he's here and he's here and there's images here. And I went up to the hermitage and sure enough... Oh, this was St. Bernardino Siena's Hermitage. Like, what the? Like, who is this guy? Who is this guy? So I was just like, I just noticed it. And I didn't really, and I even told Father Jones, who was on the trip with us, I was like, I was like, Andrew, like, have you, have you ever heard of St. Bernardino Siena? He's like, yeah, I mean, he's just kind of whatever. Like, I don't really do, don't know much about him, but whatever. And I was like, okay, okay. But then we went to Siena. And sure enough, you have Catherine of Siena. And you have Bernadine. Yeah, Bernadine and yeah. all of a sudden, like, I saw Bernadine everywhere. And again, I've been to Siena so many times that I've never noticed Bernadine. And so then I would just started to really kind of pick up on something. I was like, okay, who is this guy? You know, but I, but I was on the trip. I was leading the trip. I was busy. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't thinking. I finally got to Rome. And if you've ever been to Rome, you know, like the, the old European cities were not designed like American cities. They're not like gridlocked streets, you know, like being in Chicago or New York. Like they're just very windy and curvy. So there's like always, there's like 12 different routes to get anywhere, one place, you know. And I was being clever and I t- decided one day we were walking on the street and it was kind of, it just wasn't going really quick. And I said, hey, let's cut through this little alley. And then we'll get onto this next street and we'll, we'll probably be able to get there quicker. And I cut down the alley and right as I got to the end corner of the alley, I looked up and on the side of the building, big, huge letters, San Bernardino de Siena. And I'm like, who the heck is this guy? And I told, I told Andrew, I was like, dude, there's his name again. And Andrew goes, Man, I haven't noticed him once on this trip. I think he's like reaching out to you. You know, so like <laughs> you're so getting then, hit upside the head by him yeah. several times, and so he's then, like, I don't know who this so is. So I was like, okay, St. Bernard de Siena. I don't know where he's coming from or what's going on. But so then I looked up his story, and that was finally the thing. And I realized he was a Franciscan. Um, and his big thing was he had a huge devotion to the name of Jesus. And mm. so if you've ever seen the shorthand for the name of Jesus, IHS, yeah, that that's a shorthand for Jesus's name. Um, and he is the one who, who created that. 
He is? Yeah, that wasn't the Jesuits. Wow. The Jesuits kind of popularized it because yeah. that became their kind of insignia was yeah. IHS. But it was it was a Franciscan, St. Bernardine of Siena wow. is the one who popularized that. And he popularized a devotion to, to the name of Jesus. And I had, for the year leading up to that, developed a big devotion to the power of the name of Jesus in my own prayer yeah, life. And so true. to it's have true, yeah. Bernardino step up and say, hey, I'm with you, man. Yeah. And like, it's just been, it's been so confirming. I'm even getting goosebumps just saying that. Like, I had a friend like reach out and say like, I'm, I'm praying for you and I'm with you in this and we're going to journey together Absolutely. into eternal life, you know? And so I have tons of friends, but tell me, tell me about some of yours. Like, cause I know you and I both kind of share a big devotion to the saints. Yeah. The saints, um, all saints day is one of my favorite feast day of the year. So I, I love the saints. Um, I have several that I've, um, developed really close relationships with, um, I was named after St. Robert Bellarmine, uh, Connor Robert. My middle name is Robert. St. Robert Bellarmine was a cardinal in the church in Rome um, in the 1500s in the Counter-Reformation. And, um, I mean, he was a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant man. Um, wrote the original catechism. Um, a lot of what we have in the catechism today is, like, in his words. You know, he's a brilliant man. He wanted to be a pastor of his people. He didn't care to ascend the ladder of church bureaucracy and um, become a cardinal, become the pope. You know, actually, when he was in conclave, I think he was in conclave two different times, which means he was one of the cardinals when the when the pope was being elected. Um, I think two different times, and he prayed all night both times. Lord, deliver me from the papacy. You know, like he didn't he didn't want to be pope. He didn't yeah. want to be a cardinal. Because being a cardinal meant you worked in the church, like in the offices and stuff, and you weren't with the people as much. He just yeah. wanted to be a pastor of people. But he's brilliant um, and uh, wanted to be a pastor, wanted to be a good man, um, a good a good shepherd of people. Um, St. Robert Bellarmine, um, St. Maximilian Kolbe, one of my all-time favorites. He was a Franciscan priest in Poland in the 1900s early, mid-1900s. He died in 1945 in Auschwitz as a prisoner. Yeah, I was about to say, if you're in the in Poland in the Ooh. 1900s, you can imagine <laughs> what that would have been exactly, like. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so Maximilian Kolbe, his, his, his devotion to our Blessed Mother is extremely strong. Um, he founded the Militia Immaculata, um, so kind of like the, you know, the army of Mary, in a way, um, devoted to the, to the Immaculate Mary. And, you know, he would pray, so he, he had a printing press, and a magazine, the uh, Militia Macalotta, that went around the world. And he had a printing press, and this was in the city of the city that he built in Poland, Nyekaponolov. I believe I'm saying that correctly. If I'm not, just believe me. Anyway, so he, uh, they were building this printing press, and that takes a lot of money in building a city. There were over a thousand friars there at the time, which is crazy. There's a lot of money that needs to be involved, and at times they didn't have the money. And so the brothers would come to him and say, Father, we don't have, we don't have the money. And he would say, um, he would say, our mother will take care of it, or our lady, our, our lady will take care of it. And they'd be like, uh, okay. They'd come back the next day, and the money's there. You know, his devotion to our blessed mother is strong, but also him sacrificing his life in Auschwitz. So that story, real quick, that you told about the money, yeah. that reminds me of Mother Angelica. Oh, she, exactly right, yeah, Mother when Angelica. One hundred percent, dude. E-W-T-N. This is a common thing among the saints, and so Mother they Angelica have an extraordinary trust in God that seems. That seems like ludicrous. It seems yeah, yeah. crazy. It, se- it seems imprudent. Yeah, because it's like, it okay, well, okay Father Colby, we don't have the money, and the world works on money, which means we can't do what you're asking us yeah. to do. And <laughs> it's like, Angelica. yeah, Mary will take care of it. Yeah. In other words, God will take care of it, right? 
And then it happened. So Mother Angelica. So, so Mother Angelica, when she was building EWTN, she ordered a half a million dollar satellite from this like company, right? It's a lot of money. And straight up did not have the money. Yeah. Just ordered it. And yep. she she kind of said the same thing. She's like, I just, the Lord has been clear with me that the money will be there. Yeah. And, he wants and me to sisters, do this. And literally, and literally, the the dish is now like in transport coming into Birmingham and Irondale or yeah. whatever, you know, and they're or, or in she, and the sister's like, we don't have any money. We don't have any money to pay them. This is like half a million dollars. And sure enough, right at that moment, phone call comes in. Wealthy benefactor out yeah, of nowhere a donor, has yeah. a conversion of heart. And it's like, I just want to, I just need to give you money. And she's like, oh, well, we have a project. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly right. need money for. Yep. And so that kind of stuff happens all the time in the life of the saints. Yeah, and, it's a crazy it trusting God. Like, and it looks like imprudence. And maybe there's some of you listening who's like, well, I just can't do that. It's like, well, you know, the bill's got to be paid. Or what happens if I... The thing about the saints, though, is they, one of the important things to remember about the saints is to be a saint by definition, is to be, is to be, basically is to be motivated and moved by the heart of Jesus himself. Yeah. And so your Paul, mind, the love of Christ compels me. Yeah. Your mind and your heart are like no longer yours. They belong to you, but they now are given to Christ. And so yeah. when Mother Angelica or... When Maximilian Kolbe says the money will be here, it's not because they're just being foolish. Yeah. It's because it's not because they, they were pray, lazy and it's like, oh, well, we didn't work hard and enough. The Lord has given them conviction yeah. in their hearts that this money will be there. Yeah. And so then they trusted. Yeah. Right. And and I'm telling you, maybe you've never experienced that kind of like ridiculous thing. I know I know Father Connor and I have both experienced something similar just because we became priests. Yeah. And in the eyes of the world, what we did was a little ridiculous. Yeah, it's crazy. But there's doing. a part of there's a part of you that knows, you know. So when the Lord puts something on your heart, and the saints show us this, the Lord puts something on your heart, you just go know it's it. the right thing. You just go with it. Another great saint, just to to add another one, someone I really love um, is Saint Anthony of the Desert. Yeah, one of the a great Powerful. early, early, early church Powerful. saint. Like this is way, way early to the point where when Athanasius was alive in the in the in the fourth and fifth centuries. Athanasius is the one who wrote the biography of, of Anthony because he was so famous yeah, already century, by then. So yeah. Anthony's really, really early on, first couple centuries. Well, he was walking by. He was a young man, inherited a lot of money from his parents who had passed away. And um, he was a very wealthy, very influential guy. And he was walking by the church one day and kind of stopped in to pray as he usually would. And then the, the gospel reading was just, hey, if you wish go to have eternal everything. life, go sell everything you have, give to the poor and come follow Yeah, Benedict, me. the same thing. Benedict, the father of monasticism in the West, Benedict, the same thing. They just heard the gospel and were like, bet. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. okay. Yeah, they're like, and literally, Anthony went and sold everything he had yeah. and moved into the desert and just served the poor yeah. and helped people and did that. And so you, I get it. Like, a lot of people are like, well, I just couldn't do that. And, and and I'm not saying everybody needs to do that. And Jesus doesn't say that either. Yeah. You know, in the Gospel of Luke, when, when there's that encounter with the rich young man that Anthony heard, Jesus said, it says that Jesus looked at him, loved him, and then said, if you wish to be perfect, go sell all you have, get to the poor and come follow me. So it wasn't that like, that is the only way to become a saint. It's that that was that man's way. Yeah. To become I mean, a whoever saint. has ears ought to he hear, right? Like not every, him. this is a hard teaching. Not everyone can accept it. I mean, like not all of us are called to be priests. Not all of us are called to be nuns. If that were the case, then we would have no more humans. And I think the important thing to remember though, too, in that is that your sainthood is dependent on God's will, not on your will. 
Exactly. Yeah, like, there are saints of every of every type of life. Yeah. Like okay, Saint Gianna Mola, who's Great becoming example. incredibly popular. Great and there's uh, Chiara Badano. I mean, Chiara Petrillo as well. Who's uh, she has a miracle attributed to her. I don't know if it's formally declared by the by the church yet. But anyway, um, anyway. So let's do Gianna Mola first. Gianna Mola um, was a pediatrician and had I think four kids. I believe. Yeah, yeah. One of her daughters like is also remember. named Gianna Mola, which is beautiful. Um, she's alive, I believe, right now and still giving talks about her. Yeah, mother. yeah, she was. So yeah. Gianna Mola, Saint Gianna Mola. A lot of Catholic women are naming their kids Gianna. Uh, it's a beautiful name. Anyway, um, Gianna Mola. She didn't do anything crazy in life. She raised her kids, prayed the rosary, went to mass. Um, she was a doctor. She, you know, did she stuff. She was a mom. Yeah, she was a normal <laughs> and a working mom. mom. She yeah. was a doctor. <laughs> but and she was pregnant with one of her children, and um, and developed cancer. Is that right? And then the the cancer treatment. Is this right? Am I right? I can't remember the exact illness. There's, but there are a few things like this. The, the situ- yeah, the, this has actually ahead. happened. Go ahead quite about Gianna Mola. I'll the, talk about this, Chiara. The Petrillo. situation was is was simply this: in order for Gianna Mola to be healed, her baby would have to die. Okay. Yeah. Like sorry. whatever, yeah. whether it was cancer treatment or whether it was, the, I, I really can't remember, but the whole point is that was the situation she was faced. Yeah. They told her, Gianna, if you take this pregnancy to term, you will die. Right. And Gianna made the heroic choice to bring her baby to term and she died. Yeah. And she died. After, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She died from the complications of childbirth. Right. And, and, and I, and I want to say too, for those of you who are moms and maybe face impossible situations like this, like, there were several moral options for Gianna and there's a way in which she could have, mm-hmm. she could have done something else morally. Yeah. But and, and and so that's a discernment thing. But my point is Gianna chose to sacrifice her life for the good of her child. Yeah. And, but she wasn't a nun. She wasn't, she wasn't a, a priest. She was a normal of course. mom. She was a mom. mom. She didn't levitate in prayer. Well, you know, what's funny is actually that, that kind of reminds me, this is an important one too, is, um, blessed, uh, Francis Xavier Silos. Yeah. Um, he um he was a redemptorist. He was a redemptorist. Sorry, sorry. His his shrine is in New Orleans, and so yeah. our own Archbishop Rody yeah has, has a, a strong huge devotion, devotion to, to yeah. Francis Silos. And I, and and we, he was visiting Auburn a couple weeks ago, and someone asked him who your favorite saint was, and I immediately was like, oh, it's got to be Francis Silos. Like he he yeah. loves you know. Um, and he said he has Francis, and he, and he said the reason I like him is because if I put a list together of every incredible thing. Francis Silos did in his life, that would be the end of the list. Like, yeah. he he wasn't impressive. In yeah, his he didn't life. levitate in prayer. He didn't bilocate. He didn't no, read he didn't souls like Padre like Pio. He didn't have the stigmata. You just named all of Padre Pio's things. <laughs> okay, well, Padre Pio did a lot of crazy yeah, things. Padre so. Pio is like a. Anyway, that's a whole other conversation. But the point is, like, what he did though is he loved the people in front of him, and he died yeah. from scarlet fever, I believe, because he a was yellow fever. Yellow or, fever. Yeah, yeah. He, was, he was serving the sick during in the his epidemic area, yeah. during the epidemic, and so he just he served and he loved, and people loved him. Yeah, people he would loved minister him. to the sick and dying, and he's kind of in a lot of ways he's very similar to uh, um, to um, Blessed Pierre Giorgio Frassati. Yeah, Blessed Pierre Giorgio Frassati was a young Italian man who he just gave of his stuff to those in need and just. Tried to get his friends to be holy as well. Yeah. He was just a young man and he died. And, and all of a sudden, thousands of people showed up at his funeral and his parents were like, what the heck? Like, yeah. what's going on? Like, they didn't know. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. the life of a saint is not necessarily a public and Yeah, not every saint life. is like John Paul II or like John Paul the Great. You know, like yeah. the Pope um, for like 20-something years 
say people say that he's the most photographed person in history. Yeah. Um, he visited a ton of countries. It took down communism and yeah, single handedly ended the yeah, you know, like, communist regime in yeah, Eastern Europe, like, in Poland, and then the and the wall started to fall. You know, like he, yeah, he's the he's the man. But like his holiness was lived very like on display, not because he was a prideful man, because he was a very on display person. Yeah. He's a very public person. He's the Pope. He went everywhere. People knew his daily routines. You know, um, one of my favorite things about John Paul II, um, he. He was in seminary during Nazi occupation. Yeah, in in Poland, and yep. so what he did is during the day he was a quarry he worker. He worked in a quarry. I yeah. mean, like sure off manual rocks. labor, cutting rocks, like yeah. gritty blue collar work. And then at night he would go and study his seminary studies in like secret, under, yeah, underground in the crypt yeah. of of the church. Yeah. And so when he was ordained, he was ordained in a crypt of a church. He wasn't ordained with this big celebration of thousands of people. And, you know, and, and the, part of the reason that story is special to me is... Oh, yeah. Is because, I mean, Connor, you and I were ordained in the middle of COVID. Yeah. And so we didn't get this big, like, celebration. We didn't get this, like, party with thousands of people at our ordination, although there were probably that many who wanted to come. Yeah. You know, and and stuff. And so, like, we, I kind of felt like, look, I'm not comparing COVID to to Nazi Germany occupation. Yeah. I, don't, I, I get how ridiculous that sounds. But there, it, there's an element in which, like, the priesthood is like a sacrifice. And it comes to us both in glorious times in peaceful times, but also in warring and in horrific times. Yeah. And the pre, the Lord brings up saints and brings mm-hmm. up priests who will go and confront the troubles that they have in their day. Yeah. You know, if, if, if there's ever issues in the world, you know how the Lord sorts it out. It's not by raining fire from hell, from heaven down upon earth. It's not by striking people. It's not by bringing storm. Yeah. It's, you know what it is? He raises up saints. Yeah. So the greatest saints in the history of the church are the saints who came out of the most horrific times in the church. Yeah, St. Francis of Assisi transformed the face of the church because, I mean, in you know, late 1100s, early 1200s, like, yeah, I mean, we kind of got a little comfortable, you know, whatever. And then he was like, hey, my church is kind of—Jesus appeared to him and said, my church is falling apart. Yeah. You know, rebuild my church. And Francis Absolutely. was like, okay. So he becomes the poorest dude in the history of the world. Poor, absolutely poor. Gives everything um, away there's a, for it, all of his food. Exactly, yeah. Gives all, give, gives away all the food that people gave to him, because he's a beggar, to other people, you know? So um, interesting interesting note about St. Francis of Assisi right now. I didn't learn this until the other day, but he... So he died in the year 1226. And so in the year 1224, he created the nativity scene. Yeah. So St. Francis of Assisi, we can thank for the nativity scene. He yeah. was the first one to do that because he yeah. wanted to create create more of a devotion to the life of Christ. Yes, yeah, so we wanted to make it real. He wanted to yeah. like make it apparent to people yeah. what that looked like. And so nativity yeah. scenes. Um, and so that was 800 years ago last year. Yeah. This year, 20, uh, uh, 2025 is the 800 year anniversary of St. Francis of Assisi getting the stigmata. Next year. Okay. No, sorry. No, no, 2020. Yeah, yeah, 2025. Oh, this is 2024. I keep getting confused always at the beginning of the year. So this year is the 800-year anniversary of the Nativity. Next year will be the 800-year anniversary of the Stigmata. And then the year after that, 2026, will be the 800-year um, anniversary of uh, Francis of Assisi's death. death. And so we actually, go to if you... Well, I'm on my way. But well, if you go... Yeah, I'm going to go in June as well. Yeah, if you go to Assisi right now, it's it's a triple jubilee. So these oh, that's three awesome. years together are Jubilee years for St. Francis of Assisi. Yeah. I would say St. Francis of Assisi is arguably the most well-known and popular saint in the history of the church. Yeah, I would definitely say, like, 
Yeah, Peter, Mary, Joseph, Paul. Francis, Paul. <laughs> yeah, it's like Francis like, is I mean, like Benedict, maybe. Like, okay, so let's say they was those six. Okay. Yeah. Let me Nowadays, ask, you, let me like ask the, you a question. Okay. I've got a fun question because we could talk about saints all day, and y'all are probably getting a little bored of just us hopping from saint to saint to saint. I I make a joke about the saints being on a football team. Yeah. And who would I draft? I said like if you have eleven starting positions. Yeah. Who would like your eleven saints be? And I, and I want to exclude biblical saints because okay, yeah, Peter, Paul, Joseph, Mary. Like okay, those are yeah. like the lineup is basically the twelve. You're talking like to actually play football or just like give me my, give me your top eleven? <laughs> no, not to no, not to actually play. Okay, because I was going to say like okay, Saint Moses I'd the get, Black was a criminal and then I would say, died defending his monastery from criminals. I'm like yeah, he's pretty I get dope. Saint, I get Saint uh, I get Saint Christopher who apparently was a giant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Like. Not your personal. I mean, like most. I'm influential, John Paul II when he was 28. Yeah, most yeah. <laughs> influential, most influential, most heavy the history hitting, of the church. Like in the whole yeah, history so of the church. I'd go. Um, who, who were some of the people you'd throw up on that lineup? So if you're on, if you're in the Bible, I mean that doesn't count. Yeah, yeah just just because yeah. that's not. Right, right, so I'd go Saint you know, Benedict. Like, yeah. Saint Benedict, Benedict, father of Western monasticism. Totally, awesome. I'd have to. You got to go Augustine. Um, Augustine, like the. Church doctor of all doctors, you know, the father of the of the yeah. doctors kind of thing. One of the greatest so, theologians in the history yeah, of the church. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. so I'll go those two. Talk um, about Augustine real quick. So St. Augustine is is also one of the most famous saints as well yeah. because of his life. His life, he was a Manichaean. He was a pleasure seeker. He was a playboy. He had a child out of wedlock. He was just seeking yeah. human fulfillment and pleasure and success and that kind of stuff. His mother, St. Monica, prayed for his conversion his whole life and would weep over his conversion. And then St. Uh, St. Augustine meets St. Ambrose, you know, in Milan. Which is such a cool, like... Exactly, yeah. Meet, okay, community. We're all meant to be part of community. Which exactly. reminds no, me... Saints little, are friends with the saints. Todd Sylvester, our first youth minister in high school. Took the saint, words right Todd Sylvester, a holy, holy man. Um, he taught us that saints are friends with the saints, which is so true. Which is why your community people matters. Which is We talked about this last week in the, in yeah, the, yeah, um, yeah. In the Catholic Education Podcast okay, episode. Anyway, okay, so um, St. Augustine... Not the greatest guy, kind of a terrible guy. And then meet St. Ambrose in his studies, and St. Ambrose actually could read silently in his head, whereas everybody else would, if they read quietly, they, you would just read quietly. You wouldn't read silently. Anyway, moving on. That's a different thing. But anyway, so he meets Ambro- St. Ambrose, and Ambrose um, baptizes him, and he converts him, and it's a beautiful thing, and then Monica's prayers are granted. And it's awesome. A beautiful story. So then St. Augustine becomes a bishop of Hippo, um, and then becomes one of the greatest doctors in the history of the church. So um, St. Augustine, St. Benedict, St. Athanasius, you kind of have to put in there for the doctrines, um, for the doctor of the church. Yeah, St. Athanasius yeah, was he's a, awesome. He was a defender of orthodoxy during the Council of Nicaea. Right. He was the main theological advisor to Alexander of Alexandria, who was one of the only bishops at the whole Council of Nicaea who wasn't a heretic. Right, exactly. So Athanasius is really influential in the ancient so, church. Yeah, you, okay, you go those three, and then you go Therese Lazou. Wow, you skipped right to modern day. I, I did. That. All right, yeah. well then, <laughs> Thomas, no Thomas Aquinas. Yeah, 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 Thomas yeah. Aquinas. Okay, that's five. All right. And then um, Therese Lazou. Okay, uh, I would think Catherine of Siena, how yeah, she affected yeah. the papacy. I'm with you So on that's that. seven. No, that's six. So we're at six right now. I have Benedict Augustine, Athanasius Aquinas, Therese Lazou, and Catherine of Siena. Okay. So I got five left. And you got five in your lineup left. Yeah. And I got St. Francis of Assisi, JP2. Okay. Teresa of Avila. Ooh, Teresa of Avila. Yeah. She's dope. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like the whole I, Carmelite. I mean, just. I got a. Like, 
So I got to pause and glow up on Teresa of Avila real quick. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Teresa of Avila, probably one of the greatest spiritual masters of the history of the church. Absolutely. You know, when you talk about how to pray, how to um, how to increase in holiness, like like Teresa of Avila is awesome. And she she's coupled with her much younger yet spiritual mentor. It was spiritual. Um, um, spiritual director Saint John of the Cross. Yeah, they're they're responsible for kind of the uh, for the rejuvenation of the Carmelite order, right? You know, and so yeah, those are really major saints. Spanish, yeah, um, hugely influential. Yeah. yeah. So okay, that's a great addition. So, yeah. And then I feel like and this may be recency bias, which I'm open to accepting. Mother Teresa. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, I mean, it's hard to pick the most, the 11 most influential saints in the church. Yeah, but true. like Mother Teresa, maybe recency bias, but at the same time, hard to argue that. Like none in the habit, in the modern time, yeah. explicit love and devotion to the poor and reverence for the poor, yeah. the dignity of the person, um, speaking against abortion, just like just a powerhouse of a saint. Yeah. You know, everyone yeah. knows who Mother Teresa is. Yeah, today. I mean, you you, know? you see the yeah. white and the blue in the habit, and you're like, we got missionaries of charity here. Yeah, like yeah. this is so awesome. Like, even let me like go, non let me, yeah. even non Catholics kind of know who Mother Teresa. Yeah, is. Man. Yeah, man. Like, yeah. It, yeah, like it's just, and they go to the poorest of the poor. Like, yeah, every, are, we, yeah. we, there's poor people everywhere. You know, like I don't think they would come to Montgomery. There are stories. There are stories of um, Mother Teresa. Like picking up people off the side of the street who were dying, like and actually I mean dying, dying, they're like decaying. Like yeah. they have like yeah. gross bugs yeah. living in their yeah. wounds and stuff. I mean, like literally the grossest of the gross, the poorest of the poor. Um, Situations yeah, were the grossest of the grossed. Yes, people can be gross. That doesn't I, I mean know, their dignity's diminished. Right, right, right. But right, they right. can be gross. Okay. No, you're right. You're listen, right. Listen, you're right. I've. I know. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Continue. Continue. <laughs> but then she would like clean them out. Like she would like wash them herself. Yeah. 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 And like would give yeah. them dignity in their, in their death. So yeah. they wouldn't die literally in the gutter. Yeah. They would die with dignity. They would die in a yeah. bed. They would die like with people around them who love them yeah. and care for them. So Great Mother Teresa. Okay. Great woman. So I have, I have space for one more. Um, and this is really tough. This is really tough. Yeah. Cause I just don't know. Um, I, I feel like this is totally your opinion though. I know, but my namesake, only hundreds of people are listening. I know, I know my namesake. <laughs> I, I feel like St. Robert Bellarmine was instrumental in the counter reformation in the 1500s. Yeah, he was. So that's, um, Charles Borromeo, as you brought up, you know, when we were talking off of this, um, he was instrumental in it as well. So for the 11 slot, like, I mean, I, I got to go Robert. I got to go, go Bellarmine. Robert. Go with yeah, Robert. Robert Bellarmine. But like, there's so Usually many good ones. Yeah, you like, know, I'm surprised. Um, I'm a little surprised you didn't add to your list Ignatius of Loyola. Yeah, man. Another great counter-reformation we growing up. Yeah. He, I mean, the Jesuit order, missionary Founder order, of the you know, changed the world. Yeah. Like, for sure. Yeah, all right. Yeah, he, great guy. But like, which one are you taking off? You I know. know. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the tough part. That's the tough so, part. And may, maybe JP2 and Mother Teresa are recently biased, but at the same time, like, Nah, man. No, no, no. Those are very influential things. Those are hard hitters. So, yeah. um, do you do you want to try to name eleven? I I'll just name a couple that I may add, or just other people I'd add to the list. I mean, go through eleven. I mean, that's a lot. But and, um, I could ask you who you want to throw up on defense now. <laughs> oh, okay, I, I got eleven no, ready. We can do no, it. <laughs> um, another one who's very influential in the modern era, Saint Faustina. Yeah, I mean, mercy, she's, man. She, she's the one to whom. 
um, Jesus revealed the divine mercy image. Yeah. So she was a she was a sister. She was a religious and just had a really deep and profound relationship with Jesus and, in Poland. And and she, yeah, she's from Poland. She's another just Polish like Maximilian Kolbe, just like Edith Stein. I think she was Polish. Edith Stein. Yeah. No, Edith Stein was German. German. Okay. And then also just like JP two. Yeah, I mean, like Poland, yeah, yeah, yeah. man, great 20th century but Poland. But did go to the concentration camps. So she, At, in yeah, Auschwitz, yeah, that's right, so, 1941 yeah. or two. Yeah. Um, anyway. Gosh dang, I need to, I, I'm just, I have such a bad memory, that's totally on me. Continue. But, um, yes, Faustine would be a great modern day hero. Yeah. St. Gregory the Great. Yeah, you Gregory the Great, the Leo the Great. You want to go back into the Middle Ages, one of the most influential popes of yeah. the Middle Ages, you know, really reviving the spirituality of the papacy. Yeah. Um, you know, he was the one who named the pope the servant of the servants of God. Exactly. He yeah, understood man. that the pope was not an authority figure to be the like a king over a king, but he understood the the pope. The pope was the most low servant because he served the servants of God. Right, right. You know, so he Saint he Patrick of, would be great. Saint Patrick would be great. Yeah, the evangelizer of of, of yeah. Ireland. You know, yeah. tons of people have a devotion to Saint Patrick and stuff. And um, I mean, oh god, I mean, there's a lot of fun ones. Another one I would throw in there just as a more fun story is Saint Nicholas. Oh yeah, you know Saint Nicholas, Punched Arius at the Council yeah. of Nicaea. Yeah, so Saint Nicholas, I love has I love how he's. I, I love this in kind of an ironic way, right? Not really, but I, I kind of love how Saint Nicholas has been kind of twisted and commercialized into Santa Claus because <laughs> Santa Claus is like this jolly old Saint Nick, you know, like yeah, this kind of yeah, yeah. bumbling, like super sweet, yeah. always kind guy, um, you know. And what I love about it though is like Saint Nicholas lived probably some of the most absolute metal stories of the saints. Yeah, For dude. example, this story, this story is probably not super for children, just what I'm about to say, but just, you know, there were a bunch of children that were kidnapped and murdered in St. Nicholas's city and they were dismembered and they were literally put into like pickling jars. So, it, it was a time of extreme wow. poverty. Wow. And so you can imagine the desperation of people who were hungry. I mean, I, it's, it's disgusting. St. Nicholas, as the story goes, found these body parts, put them together and prayed over them. And then the children were resurrected from the dead. Let's go, Nick. That's like not jolly old Saint Nick yeah, slipping man. down your chimney. That's, that's like that is a that is a dude that is confronting Satan head on and is winning. Yeah. <laughs> you know what dude, I mean? Another great one. Um, Mary of Egypt. Oh, Saint Mary of Egypt. You didn't like my like girl, favorite, Saint yeah. Mary of Egypt. Talk about Saint. She Mary was a of harlot Egypt. in the yeah. desert. So she was a prostitute. She was very successful. Um, had a whole retinue around her, and so she's traveling to Jerusalem um, for Holy Week. Because that's where everybody goes. And as a prostitute, where there's a lot of people, that's business, you know? So she's going there, and she's following this mass of people into the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, which is where the, the little hill of Calvary is, um, just about like 50 yards away from the empty tomb of Christ, you know? Um, so so she's following this group of people into the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, and she there's like a force field not allowing her in the church. Mm. And then she realizes that it's her demons not permitting her into the space of God, into the into the church. And so she recognizes that and repents of her sin and then lives in the desert for the rest of her life as a penitent, you know, um, as, as, a, you know as a hermit, you know. Um, and the story goes that uh, Zosimus was this, um, was this old guy who would minister to her and to kind of look after her and care for her a little bit. Um, and Zosimus found her one day with a lion um, at, her, at her grave, 
and the lion buried her when she died because she befriended this lion and the lion buried her. And so Zosimus found this and was Dang. the one who accounted this. Um, or recounted this. Anyway, Mary of Egypt. Mary of Egypt. How did I? Yeah, I, come yeah, on. Mary of Egypt. I, I wrote an That's icon of, of Mary of Egypt. Yeah, I know. It's a beautiful um, icon. So, yeah. uh, very amateur. But I wrote an icon of Mary of Egypt. So, she's a great one. No, but it's awesome. What are just like what three I love others about, that you would have... What I, well, real quick. One of the things I love about um, Mary of Egypt's story is that it, it, is, a, it is a total... It's a total um, highlight of the fact that God is willing to use anything to get you close to him. Yeah, man. And so he he used Mary's prostitution against her. Yeah. You see that? Like he kind of like, yeah. he's a, he's like the a The thing great, that was her downfall became her way to meet Christ. He's like a great judo master, right? He uses yeah. momentum against you. You know, yeah. and so like, it, it's cool. I don't I, yeah. I love that story. And like all the saints have this, like they were just doing this for this reason, but then all of a sudden it, like they, yeah. they ran into God and like it worked, yeah. you know? Um, I don't know. You know, three others, I mean, some in, does St. Michael, I mean, he's in the Bible. No, no, he's, yeah, he's mentioned in scripture. He's he's about to say, like, you, Michael I mean, Michael's archangel. great, you know? Yeah, St. Michael the Archangel, <laughs> which does bring up an interesting point. So St. Michael is an angel, yeah, just like Gabriel and Raphael, right? Um, and so they, they are saints, not because they were human beings who died and became saints. Correct. They are saints because they are persons who are in heaven. But they did not become saints the same way we did. Like they're not saints yeah. in the sense that yeah, it's like, a little different. They didn't live on earth and live a life and then transcend into right. sainthood. Like so, we call them saints because they are persons in heavens, but they are angels. Yeah. So that's that's actually an interesting point. Yeah. So that's real quick about saints, like I want to say this before we close out. Um, I know yeah, because we we're probably getting. Yeah, yeah I know we've, we've been talking for a bit. We're getting a little um, verbose, but like, which is one, a classic well, plus uh, trait. Yeah, so classic us. Shocker. Um, like the saints, I, I I love the saints because they're role models. Like they're regular people. Yeah. They live normal lives. Like they send, you know, like they they experienced human emotions. They experienced loss. They experienced gain. They experienced triumph. They experienced failure. Like they were normal people. They experienced temptation. Like they fell into temptation. A saint is not someone who, um, on while on earth was was morally absolutely perfect, like Christ and our Blessed Mother. Like even St. Joseph sinned, you know, but so like, okay, if these people, if St. Mary of Egypt and St. Mary Magdalene, one of my other favorites, if St. Mary of Egypt and St. And Mary Magdalene could repent of their sinful ways, a struggle with lust, a struggle with purity, you know, a struggle with image, all this kind of stuff. If they could repent of their ways and God could work through them in such a way that they could live totally for God and leave those sins behind, then maybe there's hope for me. Right? Maybe there's hope for you who's ever listening. Like maybe there's a hope for for us conquering our sin through the power of Christ. You know, because Mary of Egypt was not a perfect person. You know, she struggled, she fell into temptation. And so us, for us, like these are our role models. And it's it's for me, it's like, man, if they could do it, maybe I could do it. Yeah. Right? That's why we love hearing the, about the stories about our role, like our heroes, like Jordan, where did he grow up? Kobe, where did he grow up? All this kind of stuff. It's like, I mean, like some of these guys, like Derek Rose and whatever, it's like, okay, they came from poverty, you know. Yeah. I was like, okay, man, man, if you you started with nothing and now you have everything, so maybe I, who have a little bit, maybe I can make it too. So it's that kind of thing. Like you love to you love to be inspired by. It. Anyway, I also love to be inspired by other specific examples of triumph. So Chiara Badano um, suffered with cancer. She died right before her nineteenth birthday in nineteen ninety. She was eighteen when she died. I think she died of osteosarcoma, a type of cancer. She died in Sicello, Italy, and. Chiara Badano didn't do anything crazy. She was an 18-year-old when she died. She'd suffered for just about two years with cancer. 
And all she did was she suffered well. She just suffered well. She said, Jesus, if you want this, then I want it too. If you want my leg, you can have it. Like she just suffered well. She didn't complain about her suffering. She wasn't like, oh, why is this happening to me? No, it's like, okay, well, this is happening, man. Well, this isn't what I planned for my 18th birthday, but okay, this is what it is. So God, I, I trust that you're here with me. And she never complained about it. She would have visitors and visitors and visitors and visitors coming to her, coming to her hospital room, coming to her room in Cicello. And she never focused on her, on her problems. She never focused on her, on her, on her suffering, on her illness. People would try to ask her and she just was like, oh, it's okay. And she would, but she would focus on the person in front of them. She's an incredible story. And then she, she got the nickname, um, Luce, right? Luce, L-U-C-E, right? In, in Italian, Luce, which means light because yeah. she was a light to other people. So for me, she stands in ex- as an example of someone who can suffer well. Yeah. She was just a kid. And my, maybe my all-time favorite saint, Antonia Mayo. She was six and a half when she died. She shares a birthday with you, Peyton. Yeah, yeah. And she died in 1937 of cancer. And six and a half. And she's the youngest mystic in the Christian tradition. Yeah, six years old. Yeah. She, she wrote like 150 letters to Christ. And a lot of them had to be written by somebody else, but she would dictate it. because She was six and a half. Yeah. And she, she's, got a, she's got a cool burial place. She too, does. Like it's in she, the church. It's in the uh, uh, Santa Croce in Jerusalem, right? It's in Rome, down the hill from John Lateran, taking that little left turn a little bit, you know, kind of curve. And then she's buried in there because she lived in that neighborhood right across the street from there. Yeah, so she is buried next to... Like 30 yards away from the relics of the Passion. Of the Passion. The finger of Thomas, a nail from, you know, from the crucifixion, thorns from the crown of thorns, you know, like a piece of the true cross. Like, it's beautiful. But Antonio Mayo, she said uh, her her nurses were going to give her more pain medicine. And she said, no, no, no. Pain is like fabric. The stronger it is, the more value it has. Mm. Excuse me? (laughs) Six and a half? Six and a half? Just call her six or seven. I don't care. Call her 50. How many 50-year-olds were able to say, pain is like fabric, the stronger it is, the more value it has? Nobody in modern America, man, because the first time we have any kind of pain, we're like, give me some Advil. No, man, she's dying of cancer, and she says, no, 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 no more pain meds for me. Because she's offering up her suffering. She's somebody who suffered well at six and a half. If a child can do it, Mm. maybe I can. And then I get like a paper cut, and I'm like, I forgot how bad paper cuts hurt. I'm like, man, my girl (laughs) died of cancer. Yeah. Like, come on, Connor, like grow up, you know, what but I will they're, say. they're examples and they're beacons and yeah. there's like, they're inspirations. You're like, okay, well, if Kiara could do it, I'm going to do it. Yeah. If Antonia did it, I'm going to do it. Yeah. You know? So on that note, we really, we've come to the end of our yeah. time, but I do think it's a, it's a point to reflect. We should talk on about martyrs in another episode. <laughs> we can just a whole episode of martyrs. We can talk about the saints forever. Um, but the important thing to remember is um, about the saints is, Although they come from different lives and they begin in different places and they had different stories and journeys, every single one of them shared more in common than they had different. Yeah. They were charitable. They were devoted to prayer and all of them endured suffering with joy. Yeah. And so brothers and sisters, for you guys listening, for everybody who tunes in, I hope that the saints can be an incredible inspiration to you. They show up in for your you. own life. I promise you they will show up for you. I've seen them. They show up for you. Ask the Lord to send you some friends. 
Ask yeah. the Lord to send you some saint friends. I promise you they're, they're there and they are incredible intercessors and friends in the, in the spiritual life. They are not distractions from Christ, but they teach us how to live like Christ. Yeah, because they did. And so read their stories, learn about them. And thank you guys for tuning in. And I look forward to next time. Thank you again, Father Connor, for joining. Yeah, it's been great, man. It's been a lot of fun. There's a whole lot more to say, but um, <laughs> maybe for another time. Always. Well, God bless. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Epiphany Podcast. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of His hand.